The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day. Accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. Places and names, and where it was you meant to travel, none of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster. Some realms I own, two rivers, a continent. I miss them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn a podcast about poetry. Each week, I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere so you can read along. If you're having trouble finding one, you'll find a link to it below in the description. This week's poem was suggested by a listener, Alexandra, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for this request. Elizabeth Bishop spent much of her life with her poetry relegated to the realm of the obscure. Her verse was simple and direct, written in a language understood by all, often focused intently on the inner lives and emotions of the subjects she wrote about. However, after her death in 1979, much of her work became highly examined and exalted. Her popularity rose posthumously. She became what is known as a poet's poet. That is to say, a writer whose work was highly admired by her peers for its craft and innovation of form. Critic Ernie Hilbert once wrote of her work, Bishop's poetics is one distinguished by tranquil observation, craft-like accuracy, care for the small things of the world, a miniaturist's discretion and attention. This poem is a stunning testament to her commitment to her craft and that care in small details. One Art presents me with a perfect opportunity to delve a little deeper into form and structure on the podcast. Bishop's poem takes the form of a villanelle and is widely cited as being one of the best uses of the form to be found in modern English poetry. The villanelle is a form of poetry, that is to say, a set line count, meter, and rhyme scheme. This one was popularized in English poetry from the 1890s onwards, but it has its roots, as you may have guessed from the name, in French poetry of the 17th century. It consists of 19 lines, five stanzas of three lines each, with a final sixth stanza made of four lines. What really marks this out as a unique form, however, is the rhyming pattern. We'll use the first stanza of one art to demonstrate. The art of losing isn't hard to master. 
So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. We can see that the first and third line rhyme at the end, master and disaster. So we can mark them as A in our rhyme scheme. The second line differs as it ends with intent, and so we can name it B. These initial two rhymes will be the rhyme for the rest of the poem. While this may seem simple, it is deceptively so, as the form from there demands very rigorous restrictions from the poet. For example, the third line of the first stanza must be repeated in the last lines of the third and fifth stanza. Finally, that first and third line of the first stanza will form the final two lines of the poem. So, why would anyone choose to write in such a complex, convoluted form? The villanelle is quite special among forms as it takes away the ability for narrative development. That is to say, you cannot really tell a progressive story using the villanelle. That cyclical structure and constant refraining and repeating of words make it the perfect form for rumination instead. It has become a go-to form for many poets of the 20th century when they want to express loss or grief. That and it also suits Bishop's fervent need for control in all things. The Irish author Colm Tobin once said of her work, The poems exude a great reticence, a great way of needing to define the world, as though no one has seen the world before. It must be controlled by her in the sentences and rhythms of her poems. And so, in some senses, she could use no other poem than the Villanelle, as it does give her complete control. It is clear that this is a poem of great loss from the first stanza. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. The tone of the poem is immediately casual, a trademark of Bishop's style. There is a frivolous feeling to this claim, as if to lose something is second nature, like breathing. There is a reassurance in the final line, their loss is no disaster, the call to remain calm no matter what happens. We will see the skill of Bishop as the final line in this stanza will be shaped in different ways throughout the rest of the poem. The next stanza, however, leans into this idea of the art of loss. Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Here Bishop narrows in on the small objects of everyday life. The door keys or misspent time, the things everyone loses at one point or another. It strengthens her claim in the previous stanza that some things seem filled with the intent to be lost. We have all experienced the frustration of misplacing glasses, keys, small things that we need and simply cannot remember. There is an attempt to undermine the seriousness of the act. However, in the third stanza, we see that there's a shift in the pace. Then, practice losing farther, losing faster, places and names, and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. This quickening of pace is achieved first by simple repetition, 
losing further, losing faster. Then there is the listing and repetition of syllables in faster and travel. The second line continues directly into the third line for the first time in the poem. In this way, the pace is subtly moved forward, increased. In such a restrictive form, Bishop is still perfectly capable of manipulating the words and forms to suit her needs. This change of pace can make the reader anticipate what's coming next. We have possibly sensed that the stakes may be raising in some form. The fourth stanza goes on to reveal more. I lost my mother's watch. And look, my last, or next to last, of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. And as simply as that, we move from a simple catalogue of everyday lost things to an account of personal loss. That casual tone is still there, but now it feels a little inappropriate. Bishop is talking about items of true sentimental value, her mother's watch. To understand the weight of this statement, you have to understand Bishop's own tragic history. She lost her father before she had even turned one, and her mother, unfortunately, suffered from severe mental health issues as a result. These issues culminated in her being institutionalized when Elizabeth was five years old. And finally, she passed away in 1934 in that same institution. Such loss and difficulty at a young age surely left a mark on the poet. The long-term damage of these early tragedies is well documented in her letters, collected in the fantastic collection, One Art. She goes on to explain that she has also lost houses, and we understand from her biography, having lived with various relatives in her youth, that this surely triggered fresh waves of displacement. Now the refrain of the art of losing isn't hard to master sounds more like she's trying to convince herself than the reader. The next stanza becomes more somber still. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. The scale of the poem grows exponentially here, as we've moved from everyday objects and precious keepsakes to whole cities and continents. This calls back to the comments by Tobin on how Bishop had a need to define the world. Here, she is doing exactly that. She fills in the details from small to large. What also happens when she lists these titanic landmasses is that we begin to doubt her conviction. How could losing a city not be considered a disaster? A whole continent gone, not a tragedy. Her nonchalance and detachment slip when she confesses, I miss them, making the refrain seem like a hasty retreat from her own feelings, as opposed to a defiant statement. The final stanza cements the weight of this loss completely. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love. I shan't have lied. It's evident. The art of losing's not too hard to master. Though it may look like, write it, like disaster. 
now we realise we are not being spoken to at all, but possibly all of this poem has been addressed to another. This is a little cryptic and must be dug into biographically yet again to be fully understood. In 1944, Bishop left the United States to live with her partner, Loura de Mechedo Sores, in Brazil. She lived with her for 14 years, and then, unfortunately, in 1967, Sores took her own life. This would have been impossible for the simple reader to know in Bishop's time, as she was always fiercely guarded around matters of her private life and sexuality. However, her audience has since come to learn all about this thanks to the amazing collection of letters I previously mentioned. In one of those letters, she expresses the true scope of her loss, revealing just how deep the wounds went, saying that I've lost everything. Knowing that sad information, this final stanza reveals how much Bishop is actually feeling the loss of these things. She invokes the gestures and mannerisms of her lover, a bittersweet recollection now, and the resolve of those refrains in the poem disappear almost completely. She alters the refrain slightly here at the end, saying that the art of loss is not too hard to master. Then a further compromise, it may look like, which here sounds like a pathetic attempt at covering up her true misery. It's interesting to note that both her references to her partner and the command write it are written in parentheses. They are interruptions, two moments that dash the logic of her poem against the rocks. She has tried to be cool, calm and detached, and yet the memory of her love has undone it all. In breaking the traditional form of the villanelle by changing the refrain, she has shown that not even stoic tradition can stand in the way of grief. So, why this poem? I think it showcases those stages of grief everyone has experienced in painstaking detail. Bishop had that wonderful talent of somehow being succinct when communicating emotion, whilst never losing the weight or poignancy of it in doing so. The poem showcases how form is not the restriction that many people think it is, but in the hands of a master such as Bishop, it can be shaped into something that can embellish the theme of a piece, or better yet, elevate it. Above all, I think there is a quiet dignity to the end of the poem. She respects the memory of her former lover by failing to be stoic and cold about her. There are some memories that should be given the respect they deserve, no matter how much we'd wish to lock them away or remove ourselves from them. And that is something that this poem exhibits in such a subtle, brilliant way. What's your reading of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and so very much up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, you can reach me in a few ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. You can find my website www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com where you'll also find the show notes for this episode complete with references to everything mentioned. If none of that suits you, I'm on Instagram. Just search Words That Burn Podcast where you can find helpful study guides and bonus material that accompany these episodes. 
If you have any poems, like the one that Alexandra asked me to read this week, please send them in to me. I would love to read them out on the podcast. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode is by Scott Buckley and is used under Creative Commons license. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please consider giving me a review on whatever platform you listen on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me, and hopefully you'll hear from me again soon.